0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number seventeen of Real Blend, a podcast that inhales green space gas all the time and hasn't grown a single inch since. My uh, name is Sean O'Connell. I see ah, see, you got that reference, yeah, because we all went to Rampage. My yeah. name is Sean that was a deep O'Connell, pool, man. The managing director I- of Cinema Blend. Sean, and how much time do
1: you spend a week on that intro pun? Um, thirty minutes. Okay, good. Yeah, I just want to make sure they're, they're worth it. I, I actually look forward to them now. So
0: thank I you. I actually, for, Kevin, for I actually created a doc of potential ones. So <laughs> I'm oh, thinking man. ahead. Um, my name is me. Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and I am one of three illustrious co-hosts for this weekly live entertainment chat. Joining me, as always. Jake Hamilton, the entertainment reporter for Fox 32 in Chicago. Jake, how are you?
2: Sean, no one's ever called me illustrious before. I have to admit, I don't even know what it means. It's
0: kind of like sexy and charming mm-hmm. and uh, debonair. Well, de- no things. one's definitely not called me. <laughs> <that before. laughs> and also uh, descripted, described uh, that way is Kevin McCarthy, entertainment reporter for Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, how are you?
1: Uh, good, good afternoon, Sean and Jake. And yes, you can find me on Twitter at GOP Leader. If you no. want to send me any, 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 any
0: tweets, dude, I mean, you are so you screwed. Too. You're so screwed. <laughs> you, really you have screwed to. Me. What it, is it, this? to It's gonna be a bad
2: couple of years for you, man. <laughs> so
0: for people who don't uh, know this running gag, it's a great bit. Um, Kevin gets mistaken for what is what is Kevin? What is the other Kevin McCarthy's is, position?
1: He's the major. Is the majority isn't the leader. leader? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the majority yeah, leader. Majority leader. Yeah. So
0: on Twitter, he gets um, assaulted. By people mm. who who um, have really strong political values, yeah. And, um, to say and the least. The other day, you got tagged in something that Ivanka Trump like retweeted.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, that one. So normally, what I do is the bit is I'll take I'll find some random word in their tweet and then retweet them and give them a movie recommendation because generally they're they're calling me bad names or saying I'm a horrible politician. Whatever they're saying to me, they they mean for uh, somebody else. Uh, so, but the one you're referring to, I, I didn't retweet because I, I, it was, uh, it wasn't something that I found that I could joke about clearly. No, it was very Honestly. sensitive. Do you think the other Kevin yeah.
2: McCarthy gets tweets as like, dude, you, you suck? But I like, don't know.
1: But, but but they would have to type in GOP leader, yeah, which okay. is why I don't, because like, like he doesn't, there, has like, he ever, because addri- I know
2: they, they wrote an article about it, but has he yeah. ever talked about it? Has he ever addressed Oh it?
1: yeah. We've done, uh. TV segments before where he's like jumped into the segment with me and then we've gone over the tweets together oh, that's or funny. like that's really and uh funny. yeah so it's 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 interesting for sure
0: All right. Well, unfortunately, I just want to mention up front that um, our guest, Brad Payton, who's the director of Rampage, he was supposed to be joining us for the live broadcast, um, is caught behind a car accident. Now, he's fine, and he's not in the car accident, but he's not going to be able to make the live show. So if you're a Rampage fan, you're tuning in to listen to our interview with Brad Payton. We will be recording that interview with him um, after our live show today, and then we will make that interview available in our audio-only version of the show, which you can find on iTunes and you can, he find should on pull a Jeffrey Dean
2: Morgan because Jeffrey Dean Morgan found his way through all kinds of destruction in Chicago in the did. final act of Rampage, so he should just pull out a page out of the
0: old Jeffrey Dean Morgan playbook.
1: Or they you can send him. They can send him the rocks helicopter from San Andreas and lift him to our <laughs> they podcast. Could,
0: they could do that. Yes, they could. Uh-huh. Well, we are a live weekly podcast. We exist on the Cinema Blend. Facebook page if you're watching us. Hello, thank you very much. Um, Joining the rest of the podcast in the Cinema Blend podcast network, including Hero Blend, which is a superhero show hosted by our very own Eric Eisenberg. And you can check that out um, on iTunes and Spotify also. So, I guess since we don't have Brad Page, don't use our
2: podcast to pimp someone else's podcast.
0: That's what I (laughs) do. That's what I do. I am a podcast whore. (laughs) (laughs) A poor. Um, Let's start with news. (laughs) (laughs) Since we don't have. (laughs) <laughs> Brad just yet, but we will get him later. And Jake, I know you wanted to talk about the the TV spots for Solo, a Star Wars story, a movie that I'm gonna I'm joining you on this bandwagon. To me, it's looking better every time I see. My I'm, footage I'm from telling
2: you, man. Every everything that they put out. I mean, they just put out one today that shows a little bit more of like an action sequence between Lando and Han, and and even something as simple as Lando calling him Han which mm. Billy Dee Williams always called Harrison Ford Han, not Han, in the same way that Harrison Ford always referred to it as the Falcon, not the Falcon. Even <laughs> even hearing that just gave me chills, because it really made me feel like we were seeing these characters 10 years younger. I, I had this feeling, I deep down in my bones, that this movie is going to end up being awesome, and all the people that were giving it crap. I mean, to the point where I find myself watching more solo stuff over the last 10 days than I have Infinity War stuff, and we're infinitely, no pun intended, more close to infinity war than we are
0: solo. Yeah, no, I guess what I, you're saying. Go ahead, go ahead.
1: The, the, the TV spots that they've been releasing have been amazing. I, and I was actually very, it's interesting. My, my love, my, 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 emotions of this film have been very up and down obviously when when Lord and Miller were signed on I was super excited and the whole thing happened with Ron Howard coming in then I got I was like eh, a little worried about it because I wanted the Lord and Miller version the first trailer that was released the first footage we ever saw which I think was like a teaser spot to the Super Bowl ad if I remember correctly was great then I didn't love the actual long trailer they released with where he spoke I didn't really buy into the voice um but these 45-second, 30-second TV spots that have been releasing recently have been, have been looking amazing. Uh, specifically, the one of the... Was it the train kind of going sideways? Yeah, on, on. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. looks really cool. And the guys also, wearing the
2: metallic boots?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, the editing on those trailers is incredible, Like, especially the one where they did with the cards and the, the sound design and the flip, whatever it was. Um, But to Jake's question, I have a question about that because so Falcon and Falcon are two different, obviously, things we've heard in the different movies. I remember interviewing... Uh, Harrison Ford for Force Awakens and thinking I had to say Falcon like he said it, is there is it right or wrong? I mean, have I don't, don't know ever, because
2: like, they say it different ways, I haven't done enough research to know, um, but right. if I'm lucky enough to get Donald Glover for uh, Solo, one of the things I do want to ask him is sort of know, like you know he, he, if you've said Han your whole life, which I'm assuming most people have, is it yeah. weird to then say Han just because Billy Dee Williams said hand, and did Billy D. Williams say hand <laughs> because there's any reason to it, or did he just get it wrong and didn't care enough to correct it?
1: No, I mean, I, I want to know, because I remember doing those interviews, and I was like, do I say Falcon or Falcon in front of, yeah. in front of Harrison Ford? Like, yeah. what do I say? Because, like, he says Falcon, right? I mean, yeah. like, they, like, Vulcan. So it was, no, like, I mean, very... I
2: George Lucas famously called them, uh, <laughs> which is, I always took that line out of Last Jedi as a reference to that, he always referred to them as laser swords. Like if you call, if you talk to him casually, you right. always refer to lightsabers as laser swords, which is what, to me, where that line that Luke said about like, you want me to go face the entire first order with a laser sword. That's where that line came from. I don't know. Sean, what do you think?
0: Um, I, I think that, that the competition between Deadpool two and solo is now really fascinating because yeah. I think Deadpool two jumped up when the rumors that solo is not going to be that good um, that it thought it was going to just sort of dominate. And now, if I had to put it to you two to tell me which movie, by the end of the summer, has earned more money, where are you placing your chips? Solo. Not uh, solo. Also really? this is PG-13. Really? Oh, without, without even a question?
2: And it, yeah, and it doesn't have the buzz that uh, the first... I mean, Deadpool 2 doesn't have the buzz that Deadpool 1 had. So, I mean, the, the, with the first buzz, they were able to overcome the R rating. I mean, it's still going to make bank. Like I'm not, I'm not, I don't think it's going to be a bomb or anything, but it just doesn't have that spark.
1: That's it's also going to have a very hard time. It's not going to stay in number one. Clearly, the next weekend, uh, I mean, it's not going to happen. Which is which is a hard, you know, when a movie goes number two, one the first, when a movie goes number one the second weekend in a row, it, it's it's a great thing for a push. It's like it, it has legs. It's like people are excited. They're talking about it. Um, it's going to be a little interesting to watch what happens with Deadpool two once Han Solo releases. But I months think ago,
0: it, it, the buzz on yeah, Deadpool was, to me was so yeah. high. You know, that oh, people see, are I dying.
1: I haven't listened. I'm I'm a Deadpool fan. I love Deadpool. I thought the first one was amazing. I still haven't felt that excitement yet. I agree. I I
2: I don't feel like the average. Like honestly, I uh, my my fiance and I saw a TV spot last night, and she even had the reaction of like, oh, like it comes out that soon. It comes out next month, which is not great. As opposed to she knows Avengers opens up next week, and she knows Solo comes out. Like I, I, but also keep in mind. Deadpool opened oh, what a Valentine's Day weekend like in a February. Yeah. It had mm-hmm. there was nothing else going on in that month and it was able to dominate for weeks on end. You know, yeah. they, they they've got 7 days to make as much money as they can before Star Wars opens up. It's just it's also not going to hun- be the same.
1: What here's the interesting question is what will the opening be? So the first one I think did 132 million, I want to say in the first 3 days, which was a massive massive yeah. number for an R-rated movie, it was the highest opening R-rated movie of all time um double, double check that number i think it was 132 mm-hmm. um but the the question is will it even come near that i i don't I think don't, it tops that will even it, will, it, will it will it even open over 100
0: um I you know did. my my big question is also infinity war is not going to be slowing down no by that time. i agree
1: by that point i think it will
0: man look It'll at black be... panther black panther held on to number one for weeks
1: but didn't it go back to number one after falling at one point? I don't remember if I remember the box office correctly. I know, I mean, listen, My Panther's been a ton of money. I'm not den- I'm not denying that. I just don't, I think by the time Deadpool hits on the 18th of May after, but after. But a, Kevin, Deadpool opened only doing the
2: junket like three days before the movie comes out. Like we, yeah, we're doing right. the, we're doing the interviews, which, which, you know, I don't know if we can say this, but like we're only maybe getting Reynolds on the carpet and then turning around and like we had to get home and immediately air. Our, there is no turnaround on that junket,
0: which seems.
1: Wait, odd. doesn't the movie open? Is it open on a Wednesday? Does, does it open that Wednesday? Does it open the Friday of our interviews? Yeah, I thought Friday. On the 18th, right? the Friday the eighteenth, right? And we're doing interviews wow. on interviews
2: on a fifteenth. We're doing the interviews yeah. on the fifteenth. It opens on the eighteenth. When's the last time you had a turnaround that fast?
1: I've I've had those before. I mean, oh, like well, yeah, it's not it's not, it's not especially impossible. impossible. Five, had happened that way. They, there think. was that fast. I think so. I think it was that fast. But, I mean, again, that was a different idea. Coming up
0: coming up behind the May movies and the bloodbath is June, and I know we're, um, we've discussed Oceans 8 on this podcast, and that we're yeah. kind of ex- excited for that one. And then um, I went to Pixar and previewed Incredibles 2. So um, How much my embargo see? has lifted. Uh, yeah, I was going to open the floor for questions, if you guys have anything to know about that. So they showed us the um, the first 22 minutes of the film. And then they showed us two long sequences that um, they're pretty excited about. So the movie opens literally right after the first movie ends. Like at the end of the first movie, the, the it's underminer. An choice. Yeah. Well he so we asked Brad Bird why he did that. You know, so the underminer comes out and announces his presence and the, the family puts on their masks and he said, um, we asked him why he decided to pick up right from there and he said, I thought about aging everybody, but that's, that's just depressing and, and sucks. That's fair. So, um, because you can't just go with age that. the
2: baby without aging the parents. And then well, like, do we really want to see what the parents look like 14 years
1: later? Sean, right. did you ask Brad? I mean, there was a question that I, 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 forgot to text you before you went, you went out there. I mean, cause I was thinking like, this would be like a big newsy question if you were to ask him. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you ask Brad if his middle name was lady?
0: I did not. Oh God! Get... How do you still have a job? <laughs> no, I did not ask him. Uh... If his name was Brad. Ladybird. His name was Lady. The, uh, okay. no the wonder Brad se-
1: Payton's not doing this podcast.
0: <laughs> the other sequence that they really wanted to tease. I had to was... get a Sir
1: Sherrod and Ladybird joke in there at some point. I was like, I was like, how can I eventually get one in? <laughs> you, you got there it. There was that was my opportunity.
0: Um, was the powers of Jack Jack, which I'm not allowed to talk about. Um, all of that stuff is under embargoed. But the baby oh. has a ton of powers, um, and there's a fight. There's a fight scene between Jack Jack and a raccoon. That I think is going to be one of the most uh, exciting scenes. Yeah. Like an actual, movie. like an actual raccoon. Like an actual raccoon. Yeah. Like there's a p- place. That's well, funny. I mean it's it's animated, but, but um. No, did not know if it was like like a villain called the raccoon? No, no, no. Like the dad falls asleep late at night watching old, old like black and white movies, and there's a raccoon like rummaging through the trash, and Jack Jack's looking at the TV, and it's like a 1940s villain with like a mask. Yeah. And then he looks outside, and he sees the raccoon, and the raccoon has, oh, like, mask eyes. Nice. So he goes out to try and fight him. And over the course of the battle, like, he shows off all of his powers, and it's really – it's pretty exciting. So, um, All right.
2: Let, let, let me ask you. Would you rather Incredibles 2 or a new original Pixar film?
0: Original Pixar. I am I, not a sequels guy with Pixar. Um, I just – and here's why. For every Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3, there's Monsters University – yeah. And um, you know, even Dory, Dory was fine. But um, sometimes,
2: like outside of the Toy Story sequels, I'd argue they're toy commercials. Ironically, except sure. except the movies about toys. I mean, they. they I, I read a, uh, a stat somewhere that the merchandise for the Cars films make more than the, all the other Pixar movies oh, do. Which yes. is like, but the, so the fact that they keep making them is incredibly frustrating because it's like, okay, well, you're not making art. You used to make art. In, now you used to make art. 10 15 20 years ago now you're making toy commercials
0: and then when coco came out i thought coco was amazing coco made my top 10 so for them to do an original film like that i was like that's the proof right there that you should be pursuing original ideas from from bold filmmakers you know that studio has these amazing storytellers i'm sure they don't necessarily want it now the reason why i'm a little bit more excited about incredibles 2 is because bird bird said you know this isn't a cash grab, and because if it was a cash grab, we would have we wouldn't have waited fourteen years to do it. Like this is just legitimately a story that I want to explore. They made three car movies <laughs> between yeah. the two incredible films right. within so, twelve minutes of each other. Yeah, so I like to believe that he really does believe in this one, and and that they have a That's good idea fair. for it. So
1: I just, I just love Brad Bird in live action, and I really kind of I, listen. I, I love the Incredibles films. And I, I just everything he did on Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol was just. Mind-blowing, and I, and I, I just really wish we could see more of him in live action. Which is, you know, listen, I'm all, I'm all for Incredibles too. I don't know that my mindset was like I couldn't wait for a sequel to that movie. I, I don't think anybody felt that way. I don't, Jake. I don't know if you felt that. I way. I know
2: some people did. I know some people that have been anxiously awaiting this movie. I'm sort of like, oh, like I'll see it. You know, like, obviously, I'll see it. I'll, yeah. Obviously, I'll yeah, see yeah. it. But, but yeah, I'm with you. I and also like I'm actually a little frustrated that that Toy Story four is coming to an existence. Like, yeah. like three ended perfectly yeah, you end, it's great. it's like it's like when a sports player like it's about to retire and they end like with a super bowl win don't don't come back and like play another season even if you play a good season you're not going to go out that way again like just stop stop like doing sequels yeah, yeah yeah exactly
0: there's a mural <laughs> in the cafeteria at pixar have you guys been out to pixar you guys have been out there
2: i've been i i've been to pixar but never the cafeteria yeah. Yeah.
1: there's a mural we did for of- monsters
0: university buzz and woody um with their arms around each other uh and in the distance you see andy's car driving away and just seeing that mural makes me sad like it gets me oh and then what did you say like so long partner oh something like that
1: we were there for monsters university as jake was Mm -hmm. saying we interviewed like i remember billy when we did the interviews at pixar like billy crystal was there that was a cool junk yeah Yeah. like and then obviously the famous light the light uh was outside the the lamp yeah All right.
0: last week um, we had Zach Penn on the show, and we talked about Ready Player One, and because we had him for the duration of the show, it prevented us from talking about a movie that was neck and neck with Rampage this whole week, which is A Quiet Place. And so I want to circle back around to that because um, Jake and I are super high on it, and Kevin has some reservations, and we never gave them the opportunity to get into what some of his reservations are. Jake, I want to start with one thing before I turn the microphone over to Kevin. Right now, Quiet Place is my number one movie of the year. Where is it for you? uh right, number two but
2: it's you know it, it's so it's so tough whenever you like your one and two movies for completely different reasons then yeah. you have to start deliberating what reasons are more important i mean right now i'd probably put ready player one at number one and then a quiet place at number two but i like both of them for completely different i mean they're so i mean that's why sometimes i get really frustrated with having to make a top 10 list at the end of the year because you're yeah. comparing movies that were never meant to be compared um so yeah yeah, i'd say it's number two but i'd put it like this this century my favorite horror film was uh, a film that came out a little over 10 years ago called the descent about Mm -hmm. a group of uh, female spelunkers that went into a cave and and encountered monsters and i'd put this one neck and neck with that maybe one of like my favorite horror movies this century
0: kevin you had a couple of things that bothered you about the movie i Uh, want you to take the time to open up about it
1: First of all, the Descent, in my opinion, is a masterpiece, and not Agreed. even near the, not even near the level of a good of, a, of a, a Quiet Place is not even near that level, in my personal opinion. Uh, Descent was a was a I mean no I mean I, I respect Jake's opinion on that. I just don't agree. I I, I think a Quiet Place is a very good a very effective horror film that has a lot of problems that just took me out of the movie. Um, the Descent was a completely immersive experience. I have I mean. You are with those women in that cave the entire time. And it is one of the most horrifying and just disturbing things you'll ever feel. Claustrophobic. The, I don't know. That movie made you feel exactly what they were going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and A uh, Quiet Place definitely brought that attention as well. I mean, you definitely found yourself breathing differently in the theater and eating differently and almost trying not to distract the characters even though you know it's a movie. To me, that's a really interesting thing that Krasinski was able to do as a filmmaker. Um, was almost... Suspend your disbelief so much that you almost thought that what you were doing in the audience could affect what's happening in the movie. Sure. Um, which is a really powerful thing for a filmmaker to be able to achieve, uh, especially today with people on their cell phones and talking and whatever they're doing. Um, that's a really hard thing to do as a filmmaker, and I, I commend him for that. Problem I have with the movie, and again, I like I li- I the film a lot, uh, things we've discussed over the uh, past couple of weeks on text chains um, were a lot of the visual foreshadowing he did in the movie. To me, it was completely. To me, it was hey, make sure you pay attention to this. We're gonna come back to this later. This is very important. Just don't forget this. And I'm like, mm-hmm. to, I don't wanna be. I don't wanna be told that. I don't wanna be taken out of a film. I don't wanna be. I, I prefer subtlety. I prefer things that are that allow the audience to be smart and figure things out on their own. I don't think we need to be told everything. Now the thing that, the limitation that Krasinski has here is dialogue. clearly, um, considering it's called a quiet place. So um, to me, he used his camera to overcompensate what he couldn't say at times in dialogue. Um, specifically the the nail scene really bugs me. i I, I thought that was a very problematic tool that he used as a director there. I don't think that that, the way he portrayed the nail, like all he had to do was take the bag up the stairs and we watch the nail go up with the bag and that's all we need to do. We don't need to come back down to the nail, zoom into the nail, and and it's basically telling you what you already know. And to me that was as if he didn't think the audience was smart enough to understand that foreshadowing. Um, So to me that was a problem. a lot of that. I mean, that, that, those a lot are my of that, biggest
0: issues. Do you think that comes with experience as a filmmaker? It's just uh, he's got to get I mean, used to knowing what his audience is going to buy into and go along with.
1: I mean, I, I think I get why he did it because listen, I mean, this is this is a this this is a film that achieves a lot of incredible filmmaking ability in regards to sound design, sound effects, uh, creature design. Everything everything about it is very very well done. Performances are incredible. Emily Blunt's amazing. So is he. Um, I just, I don't know, these were glaring issues, and it's, it's, it, to me, it's like, I don't know, it was frustrating. Outside of the
2: nail, do you have another one? Because I know we've talked about the nail a lot, but do you have another example yeah, of, like, him I beating do. you over the head?
1: Yeah, I think the scene when the girl doesn't accept the hearing aid right. from Krasinski was also a scene that screamed, hey, this is going to be oh, important see that, later that on. Never,
2: the nail, the oh. nail, yeah, I knew it would be important, but that scene between him and him and uh, oh. the girl. I, it never occurred to me that that would come back around.
1: I knew immediately in that scene that that hearing aid was going to play a massive really? part Did you, in Sean? the
0: film. Immediately, I didn't. No, no, no question. I didn't, be- because until we saw the creature design, I wasn't sure like how how much of an emphasis was on their ear canal or the auditory bit about what they could hear so no i just i viewed her as a a moody teenager who just yeah that's how i took it that's exactly what that scene
1: is meant to be but but uh but when i watched it again i didn't know what was going on yet clearly but i knew that that moment was going to signify a moment later on where that hearing aid was going to become something right. that was going to be very important to the story. Yeah. And I do and, like, hate in really
0: lazy, just, um, yeah. quite often it's TV writing and it's just because they have limited amount of time to get, you know, a point across. So they'll tease something in the first few minutes of a show. And you just know, you're like, I, I know what you're saying where you're like, well, that's going to be important later. Right. And you just sort of wait till it comes back around. It's like again.
2: when a secondary character is played by an A-list actor, you're like, well, that person's <laughs> a secret villain. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah.
1: I, right. I just find it I, to me. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of subtlety. I don't like when films beat you over the head with a message. Um, and listen, I I get it. I understand that what he was trying to do and his intentions were great. And it's it's interesting. It's frustrating because I'm not, listen. I my goal in life is to be a filmmaker. I I, I would I would be like flabbergasted if I were to make a film as good as what he made there. I don't think I will, I will ever achieve that level in my life, but. As a viewer, as an audience member, I know what I like in films, and I know that I, that I want, I, I know that the audience is smarter than some directors give us credit for. Um, so I, I just find it frustrating sometimes, and I know Krasinski wasn't, I don't think he was talking down to the audience, I don't think he was being pretentious. I think it was just a tool that he used because he well, thought it would help the scene later, which, 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 which it's an effective scene later on. And you know what it might be.
0: He, he studied under a lot of TV guys, like his whole career. Yeah. Like Ken Kwapis yeah. is essentially his mentor who directed a thousand office episodes and worked right. with him and licensed to wed. It's not like he's a film school guy, you know, who studied the techniques. And I'm sure he did look into a lot of horror, horror directors and classic um, filmmakers. But I, I bet you he cut his teeth just sitting on TV sets.
2: And also, I, I would make the point. I, I, yes, I very much stand by there are a lot of audience members that are smarter than directors give them credit for. But yeah, I've been in a lot of movie uh-oh. theaters. <laughs> and I've been in a lot of movie theaters with a, uh, during uh, a lot of horror movies. Because horror sure. is a pretty pretty broad genre. The average moviegoer might not go see a Paul Thomas Anderson movie or a Martin Scorsese film. But all, the average moviegoer will probably go see a horror movie. They're not all smarter than we give them credit for. And, and I say that in the sense that, you know... A lot of like little teeny bopper teenagers that are, that are on their phones to their point and are chatting to each other and giggling and saying, oh, look, it's Jim from The Office. Like, yes, for every you know, audience, there's a large portion of them that are totally well-versed in film, and those are probably the people that are listening to this podcast right now. Mm-hmm. But you guys have been in enough movie theaters to know that there are also a lot of stupid audience members, and they but need I, but... that
1: shot of the nail. See, to me, that, that, that's the problem right there. Like, I don't think Stanley Kubrick would ever go, hmm, I gotta I got I gotta make a point here to a, adjust to well, audiences. Well, because he knows no. his audience. But, he, but the, the, the average
2: thing. moviegoer is not going to go see a Stanley Kubrick movie. But
1: here's the thing. All But Krasinski, all he had to do was just show it initially raising, and that's all you needed. And, like, to me... Like that would satisfy any type of audience member, whether or not they were paying attention specifically to it or whatever. He and I know this is such a little minuscule thing that bothered me, but it really bothered me because then really like, did. I I kept, I we're know. talking I about like a three-second push, but the next like thirty minutes, I'm like, okay, where's here comes the. And it, it also <laughs> I, I will say what bothered me so about so
2: the nails that they kept coming back to it. Like it after she stabbed her foot. Right. Like, every time someone went down the stairs, I was like, is that going to happen again? Is someone going to stab their foot right. again? Right. Like, are we doing this again? I, I kind of wanted to be like, someone just get rid of the freaking nail so that <laughs> I don't have to keep doing
1: this. Right. And it doesn't affect it doesn't affect just the scene. It affects what's happening next. Okay, so then your mind's like, 15 minutes goes by, okay, oh my god, wait, that nail's still there. Wait, I hope they're going to go back to that soon. And it's like one of those things where, like, I don't know, it took me out of the film
2: but also um, to, which, to clarify to our audience, they are every, people at home are listening to three people that very much enjoyed the film. Like we're we're, yeah, we're listening liked, to Kevin. It's my number one, uh, one of the thoughts. year. Yeah, and and I obviously very much love it. Kevin. You gave it a good review. I want to emphasize so people yeah. don't like don't 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 give you crap yeah, I'm not on social media. The movie.
1: I gave it a movie of four out of five. Yeah, which is I a great which is a
2: great score.
1: Highly recommend the film. It's worth seeing. It's very effective. I think my criticisms come a little louder in this in the sense of sounding negative only because I find that there was so much praise uh, now listen when I saw the film I saw it completely in my own mindset watched it I just remember like after it was over and then the reviews came out and everyone was like thinking it was like the greatest one of the greatest hard movies of all time and I'm just like and I saw lists of people saying it's on this list of the greatest hard movies ever made and I'm like really and then so so now i feel like my criticisms that i have with it sound louder well, because i, mean, I like the film but i just found things that didn't allow me to love it it's the same really way so that we you know we make fun of
2: people it. on the internet you know if we have a problem with a the movie they jump to oh so, hated so you hated it, it? yeah right. like, you know we all had issues with last jedi so people's reaction was so you hated last you jedi. Hated like it. so right. i'm trying not to do what i get mad at other people for doing
1: yeah but well, I mean, get... but, it, but but it, it. Listen, if you just heard what I just said, it doesn't sound like I love the film, and I and I I really did enjoy it. It's just that there were issues that helped that kept me from allowing myself to love it. That's all. Let,
0: let's get to a movie that I hope we all love. Um, this time next week, all three of us will have seen Avengers: Infinity War.
2: Yeah. What time is it? I see it. It's li- <laughs> uh, literally one week from thirty minutes ago. It's three yeah. thirty Central Standard Time right now. I see it at 3 o'clock Central Standard Time on Tuesday of next week.
1: I will have just gotten out of it.
0: Yeah, it's Tuesday at 427 Eastern right now as we're recording. If you're listening to this after the fact. So let's talk about the junket that's coming up this weekend because it's one of those rare occasions. Yeah, let's talk about about the junket. I hope you guys have a wonderful time. Jake is not going, which is rare. That's the rare occurrence. Jake will not be there with us. Um, They are not screening the film in advance. Um, And that's become a thing with Disney with their biggest profile... Uh, titles with Star Wars in particular. like Disney has has done this with Star Wars, and I'm not saying that it's good or bad one way or the other. I think that it's just becoming a bit of a policy with films that they are trying to protect. Um, I'm okay with it in this sense, because I think they are facing, and and let's talk about it from this perspective, I think they're facing a huge uphill battle um, with keeping spoilers out of this movie. I think there are some huge things that are going to happen in this film and once it starts to screen... so. So The Junket is this weekend. Um, We're doing interviews for it without having seen the film. The premiere is Monday night, um, a week from yesterday in in Los Angeles. And then um, Tuesday is press screenings in general. And once that movie starts to screen, it's like, good luck getting the toothpaste back into the tube. Um, Do you guys agree with the fact that, you know, a studio has the right to protect the film as long as it can? Or do you think it's, you know, it's hard to do our job if we don't see the movie that we're supposed to talk to the people about?
1: I mean, I think that the, the thing that's interesting about the screening process of Avengers Infinity War is that we're going to see the movie three days later. Right. What is the difference? So I, got, I, got, I guess the thing about the thing if we were doing interviews a month ago then I feel like that makes sense. But I'm, uh, we're seeing the film on Tuesday, but we're doing the interviews on Saturday so I think the only the only reason that I can think of there is that they don't want us to bring up any spoilers in the interviews, right. um, which makes sense. But I mean, I think most journalists are really good about not doing that. And if it does come up in an interview, it will either get shut down and or edited out. Not edited out, but like like maybe they'll say hold that for hold that for post-release or whatever sure. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, an obvious. Like if someone spoiled like some major death by accident, they would say, hey, listen, could you hold on to that maybe for... I, mean, I have no idea.
0: But well, there are people I, I, who come to the podcast to hear about junket talk, and I'm really curious from both of your guys' perspectives how different is it to prepare for these interview rooms when you haven't, when you've only seen trailers and TV spots.
2: I mean, it, it, it's interesting too because you're also asking questions from the perspective of your audience. Nine times out of ten, when we air these junket pieces, they air before the movie comes out. Sure. Yeah. So, so sure, in that sense, point. it's not a major disadvantage because. If we're asking questions to get information for our audience that hasn't seen the movie, we also shouldn't be talking about anything that they haven't had a right to see yet. What I do think is interesting, too, though, is it also comes down to an element of trust. That, like, no matter what studio it is, they trust us to literally be in a room with almost alone with some of the biggest stars on the planet, but they don't trust us to keep a secret for three days. (laughs) Right, like, right, right. To, me, to me, the big trust is, like, you trust me to sit across from Robert Downey Jr., like, to just hang out with a guy, but you don't, you, don't, you don't think that I have the ability to not talk about whether or not he dies or not talk – like, that's it's, – it's sort of like a, I don't understand, like, you're willing to let me do this, but you're not willing to let me do
1: that. Right. Well, J- Jake brings up a good point about uh, our interviews airing primarily before the movie's release, and that's a great point. I mean, maybe that's kind of the thought process there as well. I mean, we're we're gonna. I mean, the last two Star Wars junkets I did for *Force Awakens* and *Jedi* were all before seeing the film. I treated my last Jedi interviews as if I was doing the Force Awakens junket after seeing it because mm-hmm. I couldn't talk about Je- Jedi because so I basically asked everything I wanted to ask about Force Awakens that I couldn't <laughs> ask at that junket uh, in Jedi. It's um, gonna be really
2: weird when you ask less Jedi questions at the Solo junket.
1: <laughs> I know, I know, no, but but it, 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 yeah, can you imagine? Like I'm like coming off a of Jedi. Tell me where you get characters right now. I'm like like no 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 that's actually way past. Um, no, but the interesting thing about Avengers is, yeah, Disney does not have to do anything. Right. The movie's already gonna do a ton. What I mean by that is they don't have to show the movie. Um, to think, be fair, they don't even really have to do a junket. Yeah. I think a junket still is important because it's, uh, to me, the beauty of a junket is it puts your local reporter in the room with the stars. And I I, I do think that there is an element to your audience seeing that and then wanting to see the movie. Um, maybe maybe that's the difference between the movie doing two Thirty versus 220 you know what i mean like, like to me like there's definitely some science and some math happening there um i just i mean yeah i just it's a little confusing as to why we can't watch the movie on friday but we can watch it on tuesday um had they were not screened the film at all until the mm. movie came out thursday right. then that i think that makes more sense Gosh, um but we why can i watch point? it three days later if we okay, so to to let me ask point, you and i've been saying this
2: and i'm probably gonna end up being wrong But I have a sneaking suspicion that they are going to show us Solo before the Solo Junket. And I say that only because I feel like this is the first Star Wars movie that's come out since Kathleen Kennedy's taken over that needs a little bit of help. Right. Um, With Rogue One, it was sort of like, oh, it's the first big spinoff movie and Darth Vader's in it. And both obviously both episodes didn't need any help. Uh, Do we see the movie before we do the Junket? Or do we only see 20 minutes like they did with Rogue One before we do the Junket? Or do we not see anything?
1: It'll be twenty minutes or le- or, or nothing. I, I think no it's a way Lucas, we see that. I, no way we see it. No, I think it's a Lucasfilm thing. But I, I, I the other thing about that is um, is that Han Solo you can't spoil anything, right? Um, so that's the other thing is like is like what can you spoil in Han Solo? And maybe maybe they will take the approach and say, well, we already know what's happening after Han Solo, so yeah. maybe this is just uh, I don't know. I, I I don't know, but I do agree with you that that movie could use that extra lift of like r- r- social reaction on twitter people talking about it i mean yeah. here's the i thing. think if it's good you
2: screen the hell out of
1: it just <laughs> oh, just I start screening it and i and here's the thing I, I will say this and as i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast i was very on an emotional roller coaster with this movie for a long time but as these tv spots have been hitting this week i've been getting a little more excited yeah. I mean, and i think it, we're
2: it, reminded that ron howard is a great
1: director. Yeah, he's a great director, but I will say it, it, these TV spots have been very well yeah. edited. Agreed. So I'm uh, I'm getting a little more excited. And also, maybe this is something we could pose on another podcast. Are you noticing now that studios are really making that push right before the release? Mm-hmm. Like if you look, like, what I mean is I feel like it's happening now where like a movie doesn't really need a ton of buzz until really the week or two prior. Because if you. I mean, but we're uh, still more than a month out before Solo. Well, what I mean by that is look at Ready Player One, right? And, and Ready Player One's an interesting example because that, that that had some bad trailers prior. And then all of a sudden, South by Southwest hit, and then that one Dreamer trailer hit, and everyone was excited about it. Um, I feel like nowadays with social media, you can build a massive buzz for a film the week of, and that movie will crush. Like, yeah. it, 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 we are that. we are, Our news cycles are in, are in such fast pace now. That you almost don't even need to get people super excited until the week or two prior. I really feel yeah, that. And way. also, I mean, I, to to flip that, you don't want to get people too excited too far out and have it right. die out. Yeah. Right. That's the cool. thing. So I, I think there's a metric now. There has to be some type of science that's going on behind the scenes with these, with, these with, the, with the social media aspect of it as to why they're pushing certain things at certain points. But specifically, pay attention to like the buzz. I bet you a million—I bet you money— that Deadpool 2 will hit a massive buzz a week or two prior comes out. Like, it'll be like, it's, it's gonna change, our whole mindset's gonna go, oh my God, this is yeah. gonna be big. I think you know mean? I, think, I, th- I really think it's gonna happen. We'll see. Uh,
0: this is gonna um, derail the conversation slightly. I just wanna to backpack to uh, T.E. Sage on Facebook who's watching the show. Um, it wants to ask if we had to choose, do we choose Quiet Place or Get Out?
1: Get Out, no question. <sighs>
0: That's that's tough because just just to just to put them in, in, in against
2: each other because they're both horror films. I mean, get out. I personally enjoy a quiet place better, but Get Out's a more important film because it it has something socially relevant to say. So I feel like if you don't say Get Out, then you're knocking what it has to say from a social man. Like Get Out was like an important film beyond the genre itself. It elevated yeah. the genre to to a different degree. So I feel like there's a certain amount of pressure to pick Get Out. I don't know, Sean, what do you think?
1: No, just pick I, the one you think is the better film. I mean, like, like, like uh, uh, Quiet Place still has very important messages about family and, and protecting your children at what cost, um, dealing with teenagers who, who, who dealt with a loss that they thought was their fault and trying to... I mean, that, that movie is very thematically heavy. Um, it's like, I mean, to me, Get Out and Quiet Place share a very similar level of depth in regards to the th- themes they deal with, Get Out is more, um, it's more about uh, our time uh, raising awareness for racism, and and, and, and and to me it was like it was a lot about like well, things that were happening right now, currently. Uh, a Quiet Place deals with themes that I think um, have, are just embedded embedded in normal family lives. Um, so I think both of them are very important thematically. While Get Out might, while Get Out, I think was a much more needed film in regards to what it said about our society and and the importance of the issues that it raises. Yes, I would agree that Get Out's a more important. I'll, okay, film. I'll
2: say Get Out's a better film, but if you put both of them in front and
1: said we're going to pop one in the Blu Ray player and just watch it real quick, I say I'd rather watch uh, Quiet Place. Oh, see, I could watch Get Out. I, I don't get tired of Get Out. I get Out. I, I I find something new. I sat down the other day for the first time in a long time and watched a commentary. I haven't done that like forever. I used to do that all the time. That was like my favorite thing. You're to the do You're the
2: person with the least amount of free time in I this know. podcast.
1: How do you <laughs> have know. the time to I, do this? I, I I was so interested. I heard his I heard his commentary it was amazing, and I was just listening to what Jordan Peele was saying. It, it just it, it's one of those things. It's a great. It's an interesting commentary because it just talks a lot about what he learned from other filmmakers and what shots are from what homages to Shining or whatever he was using. Um, (laughs) It's very fascinating. Uh, (laughs)
0: Sorry, I'm allergic to good points.
1: Goodness. (laughs) (laughs) No, but genuinely Get Out, I think, is just worlds beyond Quiet Place. John, where are you?
0: um, Quiet Place. I love Quiet Place. It's my number one movie of the year. Get Out didn't even make my top ten. I appreciate it more. In fact, I've discussed this on the podcast. I lose faith in Get Out when it gets to the point where it becomes hacky 50s sci-fi, where they're actually cutting open people's skulls in the basement Hacky 50s sci-fi. You know, to yeah. be fair,
2: he's not the first person that's told me. I know a lot of people that tell me that it loses them in that final, mo- like the get em, grandpa it loses them in I'm the out. final moments. I'm totally you, out You out are that not part. the first person that's told me that.
1: How do you, That that's one of the most, um, have, you, have you ever watched the original ending to the film? Yeah, yeah, that, that, I thought the original ending kind of sucked. Fascinating, no. right? Uh, we had little Rel in studio. He's actually from Chicago, Jake the guy who plays the TSA agent, um, in the film, Rod, uh, he, the original ending for people for Get Out, who have people who haven't seen it, was the co- cop car pulls up, and then initially, remember, your audience reaction is, oh my god, Daniel Kaluuya's character is going to get arrested, and he's not going to be able to tell the, to, uh, tell the story truthfully, they're, they're not going to, uh, believe him, um, so then, initially, he gets arrested, that was, the, they were shot at the original ending, he gets arrested, he goes to prison, and then he's in a cell behind a glass door with, you know with orange jumpsuit on little rel comes to visit him and they gets on the phone and it's just devastating um to me the ending of get out it the movie earned it it earned that moment like everything leading up to it there was no way that that guy was gonna get behind bars you, you uh, they needed a, as little rel's had a hero moment that move that moment was earned it wasn't forced in my opinion it was completely earned to me it's more powerful ending. too
2: that the cop car shows up, and as an audience, we collectively go, "Oh crap!" A, right? Like, yeah. Like, like, there and the fact go. that it, the fact that it ends up not being that scenario to me is significantly more powerful than
0: if it had ended up being that scenario. Yeah. Right.
1: But I mean, That's the fun. fact that we think that as that yeah. cop car says pulls a lot. Up,
0: but wait, lot. and we can't go too far down this route. Um, but the final shot in Quiet Place is one of the best final scenes I've seen in anything. Like the the What's look the on Emily shot? Blunt's face as she pumps Uh-oh. the shotgun. And that gets ready fine. to go out and yeah. front. Oh, Cut you're crazy. It was You're fun. crazy. It was Dude, It's amazing. It's amazing. I, I thought
1: the bathtub scene was much more effective. Dude, the opening shot, opening scene of Quiet Place is a 10 out of 10. And yeah. the, the reason yeah. why is because he doesn't give you exposition. He's not setting anything up for you. He just drops you in the moment. Day 89,
0: tiptoeing through a
1: grocery store. That's powerful. It's great. And that's also great. a filmmaker trusting his audience to just be in the moment
0: okay all right hold on i told you I, I knew i would derail the show if i went back to that comment our producer just, gabe is pulling his hair out right now yes this is the last time we will be able to actually predict things that are going to happen in infinity war before we actually know what happens in infinity war so i want to go on record for people who are listening this for this week's episode we are going to pick rumors um that we think are that we're willing to bet are going to come true in infinity war and i want jake to go first because he's going to take on a pretty big topic.
2: Yeah, I just, you know, I there's been so much talk lately about what members of the Avengers are going to die. And I'd argue that it's sort of even seeped into the promotion. Like they're kind of promoting it as like, come find out who dies. And the instant, I and it sort of reminds me of, of what Warner Brothers did with Dark Knight Rises, which is sort of almost blatantly promote, come see if Batman dies. And the <laughs> second they start doing that, it inherently makes me think, well then it's not gonna happen I think we've been putting way too much focus on like, oh who's going to you think die. it's bait and switch I just don't think I don't think I'm, uh, I'm with Jake on this I oh. I don't think
1: no one's gonna. As die.
2: Many, I don't think it will. No, I think <laughs> I think like I think what like, if we no lose, one dies. I I think it's a possibility. I think like maybe we'll lose Vision. Maybe we'll lose Hawkeye. Like right. whatever the case may be. But I yeah I think our main founding members survive to see another day because we forget that there's one more after this. Like yeah. so many people out there, they're promoting it as like come see the end. It's all leading to this. Right, except right, right. one more after this. Like there's no right. there's one more. So I think. We're all going a little too hard on this who's going to die thing. That's my prediction.
0: Okay. Oh, and you th- that's a, that is a bold prediction that no one dies. I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think that no, I think someone has to die to show that there is weight behind it. But I, you know, I think our, all of our heroes come back. Um, One of our friends and a guest on the show, Juan, um, actually asked us what were the biggest surprises in the MCU. And when I tried to think back to what they were, I realized that for all of the uh, hullabaloo about the MCU, they're not big on, like, huge surprising reveals. It's not that type. They're not that type of storytelling.
2: The the Keaton surprise is is the only one where I went, oh, cool. I
1: wasn't expecting that. That's the best scene in the movie, too. I rewatched Homecoming the other day, which I still don't. Think is amazing, but it's very good. Um, but that the whole entire moment when Holland walks in the house to mm. pick her up,
0: oh, it's to the car scene. scene? Oh, so perfect, great.
1: perfect, oh, yeah. perfect.
0: It's so great. Perfect. Holland's face. I actually watched this last night. It was on one of the cable channels as I was going to <laughs> sleep, and I and it was at the scene where he shows up at the house, and I had to watch it all the way through oh, until God. he takes Flash's car. And it's just Keaton so is so brilliant in it. And just the way that yeah. he pieces together while driving to the dance. And also the girl oh, who yeah. plays Liz in that scene is great because she yeah, has yeah. to play off the fact that she has no clue what's going on between the two of them. And she's she has like showing to play a different Peter. scene than what we're seeing. Totally. She has to play,
2: she has to play totally. protective father and an awkward date. And we're seeing a completely different
0: scene. So great.
1: Love so that right. scene, but Ant Man, Doctor Strange better than Homecoming.
0: You're crazy. Ah, we we crazy. all know that. We all, that? Know. We all know. No, no, that's wrong. Why do you guys Even Gabe do? is saying no. Producer Gabe is giving You guys all down. disrespect <laughs> Doctor Strange.
1: And
2: no, and I like Doctor Strange. Like Ant Man's crap. Ant Man is crap. <laughs>
1: crap Ant-Man <laughs> is top 10 MCU you know, you know what astounds me no is whenever
2: people tell me like no, no one asked for a Han Solo movie to which my response is was there a large crowd of people which pitchforks outside Marvel going give us Ant-Man no one cared Nobody about Ant-Man for no one cares. Of the galaxy. you didn't know who,
1: no one knew who Guardians of the Galaxy was until yeah Guardians of the Galaxy, galaxy is, is good it, it gave us a is, reason to care Ant-Man is as okay. good as yeah
0: Kevin, what's Ant-Man's your rumor? And man destroys Guardians too. <laughs> Kevin, what is a me rumor on that? Kevin, Dude, what Guardians is your rumor 2. that's going to come true?
1: I think. I mean, listen. I think Jake makes an interesting point. I think. I think there's this whole buildup that someone's going to die. Nothing's going to happen. Um. Uh, I've been saying all along, only because I think it's it's time is that Downey's going to die. Um. Okay. And I think that this is this is not my. Theory. This is a lot of people have had this discussion. I'm not. This is not coming from my own particular thoughts. Um, but I just genuinely get a feeling that Downey wants to go out on this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this is, and I think maybe I don't know if it's right for the character. Maybe it's right for him. He started off with the Iron Man one. That was a big. That was the jump start of it all. And then now I think Infinity War is the culmination, which is why I also think that Jake made a point earlier about them. Promoting this as the end, maybe it's the end of Iron Man as we know it. Um, And Iron Man theory:
2: if he dies, is do they find a way to bring him back for the final? He's not gonna. He's not gonna start off the MCU and then and then make it a movie before it ends. And then, but how does he come back as like? Is he the new Jarvis?
1: What I don't understand. What what I don't understand. I mean, and again, this is I I have not been following the behind the scenes stuff as much as uh, uh, Sean has, but I don't know how definitive infinity war is meant to be. Is it supposed to be a closing chapter? I know there's, a, I know there's another Avengers after it. So Uh, when they,
0: when they were shooting it, they, they envisioned it as a two part. When they announced it, it was a two part. Right. Um, When they filmed it, they envisioned three and four as one gigantic movie. And so even when we interviewed actors on the set, they never really knew what scene their movie that what movie their scene was going to fall into oh no one really knew where the break was yet right that's
1: interesting then but that
0: that means since then the russos have kind of said that three and four will completely they will they're they're playing off of each other but they are completely individual movies that all have a beginning middle and end it's not like there's going to be a um you know, a, a conclusion or a, an extension that has to play into four. Four is still its own thing.
1: But if if what you're saying is right about them not knowing what movie they were shooting, right? Then I then that completely changes my mind of Downey dying because Downey must have been shooting four as well. I, yes, I mean you would have to believe that. So then I guess my my rumor is, is probably impossible then because well it's just it, it,
0: because I here's know, what happens in this and I'll play this into my rumor. This will play into mine. Um, once whoever has all of the infinity stones, the bets for what can happen in, in, Avengers four are completely off because they could do anything. You can manipulate time. You can create multiple dimensions. So you can bring back down. You can bring back dead people, you know, like, and so this is why I think I'm going to predict the final scene in infinity war is going to be a classic scene from the comics of Thanos getting all of the Infinity Stones in the gauntlet and snapping his fingers, which, and they they hint at it, Gamora says it in one of the most recent trailers, because at that moment it erases everything. It wipes the universe clean, or half of the universe. And I think that that will be the final shot of the Infinity War trailer. There'll be a huge battle. Thanos will finally acquire the final stone. He'll snap it, which means when four starts, they can do anything that they want. They yeah, wipe yeah, the yeah, slate clean.
1: The other theory could be that does, does Cap I, I, he, I actually thought maybe for a little bit that Cap would sacrifice himself to save Downey possible and and but Cap's contract doesn't end till four so he clearly has now the question is when does Downey's contract end Well, but I, he, I, I don't get his his ended a long time ago
0: Yeah, he's right. been changing it since like but in order Evans to show is, up in things like Homecoming and right these other avengers movies he's altered his
1: but evans is definitely ends on avengers 4 correct but Done. didn't he sign on for only 3 avengers yeah, yeah but, but I, I, number six I, I don't think they think caps, they planned on of-
2: yeah i don't think yeah. they planned on so, on, on having that, that fourth avengers but
1: that goes to a question if avengers 3 and 4 were filmed together is that right. one movie is that one movie
0: did by a film, contract he, standard you mean did, did he film one movie yeah because i think they shot I, for I like i don't like you, a year. by
2: this point they're not super worried about it like you know, like Chris Evans isn't gonna go. Well, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna finish. Like I'm done. Yeah, after they're three. in it until you. Yeah, yeah. like they're. It, no, no, they're I, in I, it to I think finish. the whole like you know number of movies they signed on for is out the window. I mean, you look at how many Downey. Like I guarantee, you, when Downey signed his initial Marvel contract, he, he, they didn't put in there where well, you're gonna make an appearance in Spider-Man, and then you'll also kind of be in right. Hulk for like two seconds, and then you're gonna be in another Captain America movie. I think the I'll contracts say, are getting muddled.
1: I'll, I'll say this. Say, look at the end of Civil War, though, when Cap. I actually, there was a moment in Civil War where I thought Cap was going to kill Iron Man. When, yeah. he, when he takes the shield and puts it right down into his chest. Like, there was a moment, and I, and I, and I think it was, it's, it's a credit to the Rooster Brothers, because I obviously knew that Robert Downey Jr. was going to be in Infinity War. I think by that point, I think we knew. Um, but I think there's something to be said about that scene, uh, where you genuinely forget that you're, like, you're a person in the outside world who knows another movie's coming. And I thought, I thought he was going to die. And then obviously, because after, after it's just a brutal moment, but it's part, yeah, of the, you know. it's
0: part of the reason why I really like this finality of three and four because we have no clue what's coming next. Yeah. I almost like that they're not announcing what's coming and we, and anything could yeah. potentially happen. So I, I wish that,
2: that, that they wouldn't announce anything. Yeah. Anything post Avengers four until like, let, th- let like no other Marvel movies come out next summer. Let it just well, they've be they've already Avengers said
0: 4. they've already said Spider-Man two is July of 2019 and that the guardians have a, part three for twenty two, oh, and there is a, well,
1: there I guess is a spider-man survives
0: <laughs> and the guardians do too yeah. there,
1: right there's a running theory that like people have discussed this this is again not my own thoughts but Shuri becoming iron man yeah uh, which i think she does in the comics at some mm-hmm. point uh she goes black panther as well but um there's been a different talk about, it's, it's
2: it's a young african-american girl it becomes Iron Man, but it's not Shuri. It's it's a it's not Shuri
1: specifically, role. but Shuri no. becomes Black Panther. Yeah. Shuri becomes Black Panther. Yes. Right. So producer, I guess producer the Gabe thing throws that... a
0: wrinkle into this mix. He says maybe Ooh. not all of maybe not all of the Guardians survive. Maybe just some of them. I don't, yeah,
2: I think Drax dies.
0: Because what? remember, Drax Drax
2: has that beef with Thanos. Thanos
1: killed his family. Oh, Drax but is I mean, a would, would a Drax death be like that devastating to the audience? Not really. I, I, like, I feel I like I that... like
0: Batista, but.
1: Oh, I love Batista. But like yeah. I feel like if they're going to But kill they somebody... they've been setting up some kind
2: of showdown and he's the one. I mean, they're not going to kill Zoe Saldana. I think that yeah. I think the girl from uh, Jumanji
1: dies.
0: Nebula? She yeah. could. The be whole out. Karen The Gillen. whole
1: the whole trailer is a misdirect. Just like Disney does with the Star Wars. I mean, like that, that last shot of Cap holding on to Thanos's hand. Yeah. That great that, shot. that the the misdirect there it's is so that Cap's going to die, right? There's yeah, no yeah. way it's going to happen. I love that but... shot
2: because it gives uh context to how big Thanos is. Oh like, yeah. When you when you see, when you see that it takes yes. two hands to yeah. hold Thanos' hands back i just that was the yep. first time where
1: i got like oh damn like he's really and big you know
0: what i hope evans says in that scene i could do this all day i could do this all <laughs> day yeah.
1: uh-huh. i wish i was i wish i was getting evans for the jugger because i remember uh, first of all i bet you a million dollars is a really funny story about what they were what he was actually putting his hands on in that scene i'm sure it was just some like styrofoam thing whatever it was <laughs> um, cuz i remember in avengers 2 they all tried to do that bit where they lifted Thor's hammer. Yeah, I remember yeah. talking to them about that, and they apparently nailed it into a board, and they literally were trying to lift it up. <laughs> That's and, awesome. By the way, I re-watched Ragnarok the other night, too, which isn't that great either. Dude, um, but, dude. Uh, but, but, which, uh, <laughs> dude. But I will say, the POV shot of the hammer going through in the beginning is awesome. That scene is so awesome awesome yeah, really yeah, good. It, i mean there, there's some good action in that movie i just don't think it's the second coming of avengers films that everyone says it is
0: all right so listen one week from now we will be able to answer all these questions ourselves and we will have a uh, an episode next week um that will be a non-spoilery conversation about avengers infinity war and then we will carry it into the week that the film opens um where we will then have an in-depth conversation about everything that happens and then you all can participate in it um we have a game we always have a game we um, have a game we We have a game game, yes and we put a hashtag and then um someone's famous name and blend and then we debate their best film or if it's an actor or an actress we do their best performance and this week uh tied to the fact that isle of dogs jake what does isle of dogs sound like when you say it out loud okay okay
2: okay before (laughs) everyone just claims to have always known this yeah I, I think more people are, are saying, oh, yeah, I knew it because there is a new promotion <laughs> that comes out that shows that there is a similarity between yeah. Isle of Dogs right. and I Love Dogs. And right. I love how everyone in the world, like, all of a sudden just <laughs> knew this. I and did. Jake's the o-
1: Thank you. Jake and Kevin are the only two idiots in the world that didn't make that right. connection. No. All First these of all, people— <laughs> it wasn't until after I saw it, and then when we were riding home, Lauren saw something about that, and then she was like, oh, it's I Love Dogs. I'm like, oh. I didn't know that. I didn't they're know anything either. <laughs> don't that don't pretend like you knew yeah. that from yeah. the beginning, oh, Sean. Yeah. I, knew I knew it. Don't pretend. There's no, it. Like, oh, that. like, There's, no There's no way you like, oh, knew that. that's clever. I
2: was like, that's There's clever. No There's no way really you knew that. I did. I knew it. You and Wes Anderson hanging out
0: together drinking hot
1: teas. There's no way. So we
0: picked Wes Anderson, and we did hashtag West Blend. And of course... Uh, Producer Gabe knows the answers. He put us in a particular order. Gabe, I will ask the question I ask every single week. Do we all have the same answer? No. He no. says no. We do all not. All three of us are different. Three? All three different? Oh, all no, three no. different. Excellent.
2: Which I means we it. get to guess.
0: That means we get to Woo. guess. Yay! All right. We got to go fast because we're really long on on this week's episode. Um, okay. And I've been told that Kevin gets to go first. Oh so wow! So we will try to guess what Kevin's pick is. Okay. Oh, um,
2: oh, 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 I think I know. I think I know. Then go. Go ahead. What do you think? I, I think it's Moonrise Kingdom.
0: <laughs> I think Kev- uh, it's Isle of Dogs, according to <laughs> Um I think Kevin picked uh, Rushmore.
1: Uh, Jake's right, actually. Oh! So, All right. Moonrise Kingdom. Um, yeah. Uh, Wes Anderson has a very special place in my heart. Um, Rushmore nice. was a film that I saw with my mom, I think when I was 14. I still had my ticket for it. Um, I, went, I got to see it because I, I was... I remember at that time in my life, I was dealing with um, some uh, anxiety stuff, and I was seeing a doctor, and my mom and I, I had a good week or whatever. My mom was like, hey, let's go see let us see this movie Rushmore. I remember her calling my doctor and saying, can I take Kevin to see this R-rated movie? And he, she, he was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> t- take him to see it. And That's I remember awesome. seeing it. I don't know why. That Rushmore has a very special place in my heart. But, um... I was in between Bottle Rocket and Moonrise Kingdom, and I know those are very extremely different films. Um, To me, Moonrise Kingdom was the first movie that I felt deeply emotionally connected to the characters. Mm -hmm. Um, With everything prior to that, with Rushmore and Bottle Rocket... um, and Life Aquatic, and films like that, uh, um, I was always impressed by Wes's style style as a filmmaker, totally. uh, and I always found myself more <laughs> into what he was doing stylistically than I was emotionally with the characters. Uh, I'm not a huge Royal Tenenbaums guy, and I know that's one of his most popular ones, but I, I don't particularly love that film. I'm also not a big Darjeeling Limited guy. Um, Grand Budapest Hotel was actually on my number three at the moment, just because of the way he used aspect ratios in that movie. Um, but real fast, I know we don't have a lot of time, but Moonrise Kingdom was the first time I ever sat in a movie theater for a Wes Anderson movie. And I felt my at brain... At the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, at the Cannes Film Festival. I felt my brain mm-hmm. split down in the middle. I literally felt this. This was It, it was a kind of a revealing moment for me as an audience member. Wow. Um, half of my brain, I felt, was watching it and connected to the story, fully engrossed in it, emotionally connected to every story. The other half of my brain was like blown away by the camera work. Um, mm-hmm. because and to me it was one of the, it was one of the first moments I ever realized as a critic that I love a movie and a filmmaker that can suspend your disbelief to a point where you don't forget you're watching a movie, but also allow you to appreciate stylistic with what they're doing as a filmmaker. Um, there's a shot in the house in Royal Kingdom towards the beginning where mm-hmm. he like quick zooms like around like around each room like I think, I'm trying to remember the exact shot. but It's like it's, a, it, it's obviously the camera's literally going left and right in a very quick motion where that's very obvious to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it was, one, it was that moment, literally, that I realized, wow, I am in the movie emotionally but I'm also watching what he did. And I remember feeling that way about Children of Men, but not as extreme. Um, But now that I go back and watch films, I feel like I watch movies differently because of Moonrise Kingdom. Um, And I think it kind of changed my perspective as a critic. Um, So that's my favorite. I I think that's his best movie, only because it achieved emotional um, depth while also being incredibly stylistic. He is a filmmaker that
0: you tend to appreciate what he's doing more than getting really absorbed in his in his characters
1: also every shot is perfectly placed if yeah. you look at a shot in a wes anderson movie everything's like symmetrical it's all balanced oh, like dude. everything's that's everything's Grand in Budapest the middle oh Budapest my god It's brilliantly every like shot is like yep. whoa like how right. did he like that's amazing
0: jake like is this. next and we get to guess okay so don't say anything jakey um kevin do you have any ideas I'm. I'm gonna say Fantastic Mr. Fox. But
1: can I ask one question? Sure. Uh, G- Gabe, you're. Um, no joke. All joking aside, you. We all have different ones, right? Like you're not just playing around with us. All right. Okay. Um.
0: Gabe, does would mess with our emotions like no,
1: that. No, I would. I would have thought maybe Moonrise Kingdom, but let me think for a second here. Because he um, the I,
0: game is really serious.
1: I'm gonna say Jake went with. Either Rushmore or Life Aquatic. I'm trying to come down to um, one of those. I'll, I'll go Life Aquatic. I'm You're with
2: Fox. both wrong. Ooh. I went with a Grand Budapest Hotel. Ah oh, nice and choice. this is going to be uh, a bit of a bummer coming off of Kevin's answer. But the reason I chose Grand Budapest Hotel is I am not a head-over-heels, die-hard Wes Anderson fan. He mm-hmm. is uh, someone that I think I appreciate. More than I would say that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't changed cinema, which is kind of a bummer because he's a Texas guy as well, so I want to support everything he does. Um, I, I appreciate someone that has their own vision and sticks to it, and, and by God, he absolutely has. And, there, and, the, and For me, Grand Budapest was his most accessible of his style. Um, mm-hmm. If you're not a massive fan of his style, I find it can be a little isolating um, I mean, because you sort of go in knowing what you're going to get. It's not like with Spielberg, you can say, well, I didn't like this Spielberg, but maybe I'll like the next Spielberg movie. If you didn't like the last couple of Wes Anderson movies, you're probably not going to like the next couple of Wes Anderson movies. Um, so with Grand Budapest, it felt more so of like an adventure. And yes, there are absolutely elements of Grand Budapest that just have Wes Anderson, sometimes like written right across the screen. Like this is a Wes Anderson movie. But I found it to be... The least in your face, Wes Anderson movie, and uh, and and that made me appreciate it the most. In fact, it was on my top ten list that year. Um, it's the only movie of his that's ever been on any one of my top ten lists. Um, I had a, a blast. It was sort of a really kind of dark comedic adventure film that Ray Fiennes is one of the best performances of his career. Ray um, Fiennes is I, so good I, at that movie. <laughs> it it had like this fun whimsical element to it, in which I felt that Anderson's style fit Mm -hmm. and and sometimes I feel like he goes he puts the style foot first and then does the story Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: in this case I felt like the story and the and the style went at the same time like they fit together and they didn't he didn't try to force the two um so that's why I chose Wes Anderson Mm -hmm. I gotta be honest this is the easiest blank blend for me because I think of all the ones we've done he's the guy that i i don't want to say care the least
1: about but it has had the least impact on me personally interestingly enough what jake just said uh, about Grand Budapest hotel is that i would argue that that movie was the first time in my opinion that he truly used style uh as a way to narrate a story with an audience but not call attention to it Mm -hmm. um so that, maybe most, that's why I liked it the most. Most people, when they watch a film, don't really notice aspect ratio shifts because they're, it, they're hard to notice, especially if you go see a movie in IMAX, a Nolan film or whatever. Sometimes they'll jump up and down. I talk to people who walk out of like a Dunkirk and go, I didn't even see it jump. I'm like, what? And, and, and I get that. It's fine. Sometimes people aren't paying attention to that kind of stuff. Um, but with Budapest... Uh, he did three aspect ratios for three different decades of time. Hmm. I think it was a four by three. Uh, I don't remember the exact uh, changes, but they he were... He definitely does
2: pan and scan for a little bit.
1: Right. They were awesome. but they were But every different year, I think it was three different time periods the movie took place in. And every year, the aspect ratio was different um so when you go back and forth it almost your mind just kind of worked with it it wasn't something you had to like pay attention to as an audience member it just it just worked your brain almost fills in that you ever you ever drive your car and you're like thinking about something or you're listening to a song and you almost for like you not forget you're driving but you like then you like a minute later, you're like, oh, I'm still driving. Like God, I go bad to people my... on the roads. No, obviously. no, you know what I mean. What I mean by that is, like, like I don't think, as you, as you drive a car, you're not constantly, you're, like, half of your brain takes over. I, I think there's sure. like, actually science about that. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm, with me, I'm with you. I'm with uh, you. So I think that there's an element to what he did with Budapest that your brain almost filled in for the style, but if you noticed it, it kind of added an extra layer. I mean, that, that makes cool
2: sense. As someone that's not a massive Wes Anderson fan, it would make sense that that, that yeah. is what would attract me. I think I know
1: what Sean's is.
2: Mm, I'm last.
1: God, right, I'm, I'm going to go. With, I think it's, your guess. Uh, I'm going to say Bottle Rocket.
0: Okay, Kevin. I
1: think Sean went with Island of Dogs. No, no, he went yeah. with. I right, Sean went with um, Rushmore.
0: Interesting. You're both wrong. I'm a Royal Tenenbaums guy.
1: Aria. See To me,
0: <laughs> and I was I'll like, s- oh,
2: there's no way it's Royal Tenenbaums. It's too easy.
0: I'll say why. I think that um, I had four movies that I could have chosen. Um, Darjeeling is my favorite movie by him. Ooh. I love Darjeeling. There's a smash cut in Darjeeling that, that devastated me like nothing else Wes Anderson has ever done. It's the three brothers at the funeral. It's in slow motion. They're throwing up the flowers and and reaching a point where the three brothers have finally come together in some sort of unison. And then it's smash cuts to them in the back of the car going to their father's funeral. And it's like the most devastating shot of their three faces um, together. And that to me was like Wes's best shot. I almost went Moonrise Kingdom because I feel all the emotion that Kevin felt too. Um, I couldn't pick any of his claymation films because I feel like it's him working with an ensemble. It's him getting actors to read his dialogue. And with Moonrise, when he pulled in people like Ed Norton and Bruce Willis, who hasn't given a good performance in a decade, is amazing in that. And Francis McDormand's great. Like when he gets actors to read his dialogue properly, it's amazing. But none of them have been better than the Tenenbaums cast. Gene Hackman was genius. Gwyneth Paltrow was genius. Luke Wilson was genius. Ben Stiller was genius. And and a- Anderson is always pursuing primarily um, the theme of family, of a dysfunctional family, whether it's um, the Steve Zissou's family in Life Aquatic, whether it's um, the father-son dynamic in Rushmore, and the, the family theme, and, and in Fantastic Mr. Fox, obviously the Fox family. But in Tenenbaums... Wes Anderson arrived so fully formed as a storyteller that you guys... Like, you're right. You you both said it. You both nailed it. Whenever you go to one of his movies, you know exactly what you're going to get. Like, he just keeps kind of doing the same sort of thing over and over again, but, like, in a new location with different quirky characters. Um, So, he, he, he basically nails it with Rushmore and then to me improved it with Tenenbaums and then he's just sort of been doing that ever since. If you were to tell me like pick the the Wes Anderson movie that we're handing over to somebody to say what is a Wes Anderson movie? You hand them Tenenbaums and it's that. It's that That's script. That's it's fair. that quirky atmosphere. It's it's the set design that he creates. It's the staging. His staging is is genius um, and it's all it's he must have OCD. Like he has to be able to sit there and figure out that like everything has to be lined up a certain way because if it's off and in a a shot it's ruined for him and also um, probably the last great gene hackman performance yeah i think so um and you know what also it's not it's unapologetically mean it's a mean movie like no one in that movie is sympathetic uh you don't really you don't care about them but you're fascinated by them um but yeah i mean i could have honestly i love wes anderson's films and i could have picked almost any of them but i think if i had to pick the one that stands as his best as a representation of what he does it's bombs, and then he's sort of been chasing that formula i think a testament to the style have you guys ever seen the snl sketch
2: about if wes anderson made a horror film yes yes i think (laughs) the fact that they so perfectly nailed it where i look at that and go it genuinely does look like a wes anderson horror film shows that yeah he he has one of the most distinct if not consistent constant styles in hollywood
1: yeah. I, I didn't love Isle of Dogs either. I liked it, um, which is interesting. Be, but it's, I find it interesting how Sean and I are on polar opposite spectrums of Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. I, I think Darjeeling and Titanbaums are my two least favorite of his movies. Really? Uh, and yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, and I'm more in the Moonrise, Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, Life Aquatic camp,
2: mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. And I'm, and I'm over here waving my Grand Budapest flag by myself. <laughs> but I,
0: Budapest was amazing, man. Well, I love the thing Grand is, Budapest I... Hotel. I don't dislike any of them. I like them all. I would yeah. say with, with Budapest, someone described it this way, and I think it was perfect. Um, it is the most Wes Anderson film. <laughs> interesting. The Which is interesting as to what Jake was saying the Because
1: it it's the, the one least. that I, yeah, that's, that's actually <laughs> really interesting. Because it's the one that I'm saying is the least.
0: It's everything that he does. So um, we have to get going. Uh, the audience pick. The audience <laughs> had a different pick than any of us. They all went Fantastic Mr. Fox. Or the Great majority movie. of people who played with West Blend did fantastic. Uh, Mister Fox, Royal Tenenbaums was second, so uh, I win. I win this week. <laughs> <laughs> I officially win. Um, next week we are going to do hashtag Tarantino Blend. Oh, yeah. we will debate oh, the man. best film. I know mine. By, that's by that's Quentin Tarantino. One, So play along at home on social media by using hashtag Tarantino blend and we will um, get together and discuss. We're going to discuss Infinity War next week again uh, with no spoilers and then we will play. Yeah, big show. And then we will play Tarantino blend. Um, Where can listeners follow everybody on the show? Jake, where are you at?
2: Jake's takes like if I had takes, they would belong to me.
1: Jake's takes.
0: Kevin yourself
1: Uh, at Kevin McCarthy TV. uh, It's my Twitter. (laughs)
0: Yes, and I'm at Sean underscore O'Connell. We have a Real Blend page um, at Real Blend, R-E-E-L-B-L-E-N-D. Of course, we are on iTunes and Spotify, so please drop us um, a star rating or a review there. And, and next all of our week, episodes are free. So, go Sean, on.
1: yes, next week uh, yes. I want to propose unpopular opinion again, okay. and then I want to do. Die Hard, tril- uh, the Die
0: Hard films. Oh, um, oh,
1: but, uh and my, and my recommendation, I know we don't have a lot of time to do this, but my recommendation this week is I want Sean to re-watch Die Hard 3.
0: Oh, I don't have to, Kevin. I've seen oh, all no, of no. those movies a hundred times. You're asking
1: him to admit that his favorite film of all
2: time is not his favorite film of all time. Like, think about what it <laughs> is asking I will carve
0: out a half an hour to tell you all the reasons that With a Vengeance is inferior to okay. even Live Free or Die Hard. And okay, now that number is one, number that's one insane. is he surfs on a dump truck in one of the worst scenes that franchise has to offer. So we will pick that up next week. week. Next did a legitimate
1: week. Legitimate argument, but live free die hard, which I actually thought was good. All right. That's fair enough. Justin I probably Long went is too
0: terrible far. in that movie. I probably oh, went too far. God. All right. That's all right, fine. Right. I understand. Okay. So anyway, tune in next Wednesday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Facebook live show, and then find our stream. All the other places that you can, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate you guys watching and listening.
1: Dunkirk. Thank you, Kevin. Dunkirk.
0: Okay, everyone. Up next, you will hear our conversation with Rampage director Brad Payton. Now, as you heard earlier in the show, we ran into some trouble getting Brad on the Facebook live stream. Well, as luck would have it, we've run into some additional technical issues with his audio. Producer Gabe has done what he can to clear it up, but this will be a considerable drop in the quality that you are used to. Still, we really wanted to share the interview, so we salvaged what we could. We thank you for your patience with us on this one and hope that you still enjoy. Well, being able to talk to you after the fact is um, exciting for us because we do want to be able to get into a few spoilers. We're going to talk about the, the the movie with specific details, so for people who haven't had a chance to go see it, pause the podcast, go see it right now, come back listen to, to Brad's insights right now. But I want to know, I'm really curious because uh, this is right after you've... Um, had your opening weekend and, and opened at number one and had all these statistics. What does a director do over opening weekend um, to, to distract from everything that's happening? This thing you've worked on for years is now out and people are, are uh, enjoying it.
3: Well, uh, this this time I had a very unique one because my, um, my sister and my parents couldn't travel down for the premiere. And um, my parents, I still haven't seen my parents, uh, but my sister came down For opening weekend, usually they come down to the premiere, which is—it's awesome because you know they get to see the posters and you know meet Twain again and like hang out with the cast and see you know with an amazing you know packed house and full full audience and premiere audiences are awesome because you know they they're just like so excited to be there and it's it's a big big deal. But the problem with with it is that you never actually get to spend time with your family or friends because. For me, it's like even when you're going to the after party, it's work. You know, you're 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 talking to the executives, and you know, you wanna you wanna be, be able to say hi. Like for me, with Warner Brothers, is Kevin Suchihara and Toby Emmerich, and you know, all the executives I work with. And then um, and then usually you're on a plane and you're doing the, the international press tour, and you're like, all right, see you, mom and dad. Sorry, I can't be here. I literally have to go get on a plane. This weekend, my sister came down, so I actually took her to see the movie on opening weekend, which was awesome. And then, this is like a total <laughs> nerd out thing that I really love. I took her on the Warner Brothers um, tour. Like cool. the studio. Nice. nice! The studio tour. Yeah, so um, it was that, and then watching uh, the Toronto Raptors, my, my hometown team, win, and uh, some Cervasus. Some that was how I distracted ah.
2: myself. <laughs> That's awesome. That's nice. So, you know, I gotta say, it's a little weird for me right now talking to you, because right now, I am looking out on the city that you destroyed and so i'm sort of curious you know obviously i was here i saw i mean you guys had helicopters buzz outside my window i took videos on my phone as many people did in chicago whenever you were here but i know that you guys didn't really bring the cash here to shoot that because of the logistics of actually blowing up a city and then doing take two of blowing up a city and then take three of blowing up a city what's the logistics between coming here to make sure you actually shoot the city to get those establishing shots versus uh, creating a city because it's just easier to blow up that way.
3: You mean the logistics in terms of what, like why, like, why do you go to the actual city?
2: Yeah, why would you come here? And then also, like, how do you make the decision between what shots you want to actually shoot
3: here versus what shots would just be easier with, with CGI? Well, I mean, the truth uh, like, how how nerdy do you want me to get? Like, how inside baseball?
0: Very we are a nerdy podcast.
3: <laughs> right, right. And I say that with pride because I sure. only love geek and nerd shits my entire life. Um, so <laughs> honestly, like if a most line producers, a.k.a. the guy who holds the first strings, would much rather you never go to the locations because generally speaking, the locations are much more expensive. And um, you'll see a lot of movies that either don't have a lot of money or are lazy and or cheap, just don't do it. They just say, no, this is New York. And you're like, that's not New York. And those are stock shots or, or, or there's like five shots, you know, like an episode of Seinfeld where there's like, and you're like, okay, that's a, that's a street in New York. <laughs> <laughs> this is not New York, you know? And I, I think that generally speaking, you pay the money and you go through, and it's painful to do this because I get why people don't want to do it, but it's, it's so, uh, Kind of creatively prohibitive not to do this. You go there because every city has such a true characteristic and imprint in terms of like visual language onto itself. There's just certain things about each location that you go to that you just can't recreate. And I'd never been to Chicago before, so when I went there, and I took it in just kind of as a tourist, except I had a really I had like the best tour guide you could ever have because I had a location scout bringing me around. And, you know, you, you go through it and you you look at you. First of all, I walked it. I walked the city. And then, and you know, I spent, I lived in Toronto for eight years. And Toronto is like a city like Chicago where you can really kind of walk around or take the, the TTC, the subway and the stuff and stuff around. You get, you get a real sense of the city fast. So I did that. And then after doing that, then I said, okay, you have a breakout of all these potential locations. Let's go through them. I visit all these things in like two more days. And then you kind of sit there and you go, well, what could you do with that? What could you literally go, well, no one will ever know this field or whatever, this alleyway in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then those are quickly like, well, we're not going to do that unless there's time in the schedule. But what it comes down to is on uh, this one, it was that river, the, the whole is now like a river walk, but I guess that's new, but the whole river with the bridges and Upper Wacker, um, and then to Willis Tower, or the Sears Tower, whichever people know it as, that section, to me, was irreplaceable. Like, you had to go do that, because that is so Chicago, and so truly Chicago, and where where it becomes, like, not, you know, just doesn't make sense cost-wise, is when you get into the movie, when you're post-Willis Tower, coming down, and then it's just mm-hmm. destruction, in which case whether I shot that in real federal closet or built it, we were never going to be able to use real federal closet. We'd have to replace it digitally one way or another, so therefore like, why would you go there? Because you can't control the light, you're in a more expensive place, you know, there's just all the, you know, you got to move your entire crew, you got to move your entire cast, like there's all these costs associated with doing um, any kind of I mean there's costs associated with doing any kind of set move let alone city move those obviously would be exponentially higher so for me um chicago came into it similarly to how san francisco came into it with san andreas where it was like i absolutely need to represent the city correctly and and transport people through my
0: story in a way that's legitimate creatively legitimate and that the only answer was to go to chicago the logistics of bringing down that massive building were pretty pretty impressive like i mean when you get to that point where that building's coming down i'm paying attention to it from like all right how realistic is this really going to look and it looked freaking realistic yeah we spent a lot of time like you know with um san andreas we spent this exorbitant amount of time studying how different
3: materials would break with buildings mm. and i work with the same a lot of the same keys i work with the same production designer um, barry the same visual effects supervisor colin strauss and um particularly those two guys and i um work together with simulations to kind of make sure things look very realistic and a lot of times actually it's a way to get away with um killing bad script notes because you're like no the bridge can't collapse that way it doesn't make any sense and there's no physics to that and you know we do these simulations so the physics are very real like the crop going through the river this the simulation of the water i see simulations of just the water not even like separate from the that we shot just to make sure the sim is correct so the water feels real. And that building coming down, you know, what a Digital, which is Peter Jackson's company, they actually build a, a like, a digital version of the building, including the substructure, like where the elevator shafts are, where the metal wow. beams are, all of that in order to then tell you how will this actually break so that you just get away from all of the, like, silly nonsense that you just, like... Because every once in a while you'll get a VFX shot and it'll be like, why does this look super fake? And it usually comes down to some sort of like sub-layer of information in the way that, you know, you used to be able to see like um, Gollum change the way people thought about digital creatures because they had developed this way that the digital scan absorbed light. And that was like basically a similar kind of shop a little bit like I'm not a, I'm not a VFX guy I've never trained in visual effects but my understanding of it is is that you know with all of this, the skin layers and the fraction of light absorption of light all of the materials they built in the gong allowed him to look real in a way that hadn't been done before and if you take that and apply it to a building you're gonna get the same thing you're gonna get like where are the sub where's the substructure what is the material how does that material bend? how does it break how does it crumble and then when you apply all of that you get these incredible
0: incredibly detailed simulations like you get with Willis tower coming down. I'm glad you brought up Gollum because we are huge proponents of motion capture on this podcast. And we started this podcast as an awards podcast and we were beating the drum for motion capture and everything that Andy Serkis has been doing. You have an amazing motion capture actor in Jason Lyles. We just talked a bit about how, um, that technology has improved. And also I want your opinion on this because we argue a lot about how motion capture performances should be, um, able to contend for some sort of awards consideration do you think we'll ever get to that point
3: i think we'll get to that point with the technical awards probably because i don't know if people well let's put it this way cinema has to evolve to a place where it's more commonplace for people not to see it as an outlier element or an out, outlier award category right what would ha- what would happen quicker is it would become some sort of like technical award that you know they hand out in that those first couple of openings.
0: Like a different oh, not even like a new category. Do you think like a different category?
3: I, I'm saying like they could give it as a, a new category, but you know how in the Academy Awards there's what's televised, and then they do these like technical Academy Awards that come sure. out free hmm. the actual tele televised um, uh, ceremony. I'm saying that I think what would probably happen is it would get introduced there first, just to like. Wean people into this idea, you know, and also these award ceremonies, that, you know, it's very hard, I think, to just shift them into, oh, think of things differently, you know, like, think of it as a new thing, like, it takes a lot of a lot of time, like, you know, think about when Snow White um, was created and it was the first Academy Award, they gave it a, a specific special Academy Award, they didn't create, oh, let's do the animation thing, you know, like, let's, let's do the animation category, that took a long time to happen so sure what i suspect would happen is if cinema evolves where motion capture is a more commonplace thing it might become a technical academy of work first and then shift into more of the mainstream but in order for it to shift into the mainstream it's just going to be it's going to have to be used in the same way cinematography is used or mm-hmm. production size. it's going to have to become a
2: staple mm-hmm. You know, shifting gears a little bit, obviously this is the third time that you've worked with uh, with Dwayne Johnson. And I based this question off of a story that came out a couple of months ago about uh, the screenplay for Brights and how uh, David Ayers had to make some adjustments to the screenplay whenever they signed on with Will Smith because they kind of had to make it more of a vehicle for Will Smith. And I'm sort of curious to what degree, if any at all, have you had to do that with Dwayne The Rock Johnson? When you, when you get the script or find out that you're getting Dwayne, do you sort of have to adjust it to make it uh, a Dwayne Johnson movie or does it just sort of, he just reads the line and goes with it?
3: No, it's a good question I, the only experience I've ever had to do that on was on my first movie with Dwayne um, Journey to Mysterious Isle because that script was developed in a bubble pre-Dwayne and then we brought it to Dwayne and said, hey, what do you think about playing this character but well, here's the adjustments we would make for you, because it was written de- very different than the Wayne Johnson character.
2: Was it written time. for Brendan Fraser?
3: No, it wasn't written for Brendan Fraser. Um I I met with Brendan and there was impasse creatively, not not with me I had a good meeting with him, but um there was politics with the studio and, and he had like a scheduling thing and he wanted them to wait or something. I can't remember exactly. It was like 100 years ago and I don't have a memory, but um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, it, it was one of those things where it just didn't didn't work out for whatever reason. I, you know, I don't know anything about deals, but there's all this kind of deals stuff happening. And so, when we figured that wasn't going to work out, but the studio was still really excited about the script, and I'd done a big visual presentation, that's when we pivoted to Dwayne. And that's the only movie where I ever adjusted the script for Dwayne, like in a big way. With with usually what it is is that Dwayne is so hands on that you talk to him. My approach is to talk to him early is to get his feedback quick so that I can understand what he would want story-wise if there's anything that's not already kind of in the plans. And um, there's very, very small things that, like, make him as proactive as possible, I I would say, is the the biggest thing. And on this movie, you know, they approach Dwayne and myself at the same time. So we engage at the same time. He's off, you know, doing a million things because he's, like, the busiest man in the world. But um, (laughs) – We always check in and, you know, get them to read check in and ask about, you know, what about this and what about that? On this movie, the biggest changes were actually done last minute um, in terms of just comedy, mm-hmm. just just the, the levity of his character. Um, that wasn't really in the development. That was really kind of like like as we're shooting and just before we go to camera and stuff And like just I think as he kind of got out of his last character and came to us and kind of like fully could – could get himself into the dynamic of him and George and all that stuff. So there's a little bit of shifting there, but on this one it was mostly for comedy.
0: And Brad, so much of is what we know about The Rock is just this larger-than-life personality. Obviously he's amazing at marketing and dominates social media. I want you to talk to us just about him as an actor. Um, what does he bring to you? And, and tell me some things that maybe surprise you about some, some evolution that you've seen of him as an actor, because he's definitely someone who takes his craft really seriously. And there are some really great performances in this movie, some scenes that have to require a lot of emotion.
3: Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, he's amazing because he's coachable, you know, like, um, the closest analogy I can give is like, uh, having a, having a superstar player on a team, right? Like as, Mm. as the director, it's really like, I'm, I'm the coach and my approach with, cast members is no matter where you are on the call sheet, you're going to get the exact same treatment. I'm going to give you everything I have and pay as much attention to you as I am to everybody else because if you think about any team sport, and, and you know, again, it's just an analogy, but it's it's sort of like this. I need everybody in the right place in order to make it work and to make mm-hmm. it really sing. And what, what Dwayne is is he's like the star athlete. He's the guy who... Um, the whole team is going to follow because he just has these intangibles, and one of his biggest intangibles is his fearlessness. He's willing to try anything. He's really, you know, he's really willing to to put himself out there. Um, one of his other intangibles is he just knows his audience really well. He knows mm-hmm. what people want to see out of him, and um, so even when you're you're directing him, he has these things in his mind of like, you know, I I should do it this way, which is the way I would do it. And it's, it's the flavor I would bring to it. And so for me as a director, I have a very clear idea of what I want. I've storyboarded everything. I've shot everything I've thought about as much as I can possibly think about. And, you know, I always look at my job is to, is to build the the widest window of success for everybody around me because they're the ones being recorded. And I know my shots as long as everybody is working in, sink in a tandem. I can get what I need out of it. And um, Dwayne's one of those guys where you present him with a challenge, and he he is going to succeed come hell or high water. You know, he's one of those guys where, and I love this about him because it's it's really easy to. It, I'm am an excitable director. Like I get enthusiastic about my job, and um, so, you know, when I need Dwayne to do something that's difficult. It's the equivalent of being like, you see that wall? I want you, I, I need you to run through that wall. And he's like, okay. and, you, know, and he's like you know, let us go, let us go, that wall? And I'm like, yeah, that wall. And he's like, fuck that wall. And I'm like, all right, boy, you know, roll camera, here we go. Ha <laughs> ha. the left and one nuance to the right may make something good into something very good or something very good into great that's sort of how we work and and that's why i think he and i work so well together
0: rampages in theaters right now it is the number one movie in the world and you guys don't understand brad payton for the past two weeks has talked to pretty much everybody on the planet and yet he was nice enough to come onto this podcast and still talk to us about the craft of putting his movie together brad brad thank you so much for coming on man we really appreciate it
3: Oh, yeah, man. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: We well, you can find Brad um, on Twitter at at Brad Payton, And he's also on Instagram at Paytonology. And of course, Rampage is in theaters as we speak